I'm excited about the sermon this morning because um, I've been preaching Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 36 on this Sunday, the New Year Sunday, as we're looking forward to the New Year, Sunday after Christmas. Uh, I've been preaching this text for I don't know how long. And every time there's a different twist and it becomes uh, even more meaningful to me as we enter a new year. And I'll explain uh, why here in a minute. Uh, But let's go to God's Word, and let me read to you Romans 8. We'll begin reading in verse 18. That's what Paul wrote. He said, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who were called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our great God, we pray this morning that you would visit us by your Spirit. We have read your Word, but, O God, we pray now that you would drive your Word deep into our hearts and into our minds, into our very souls, that we might center our life and we might center our coming year upon these truths. Lord Jesus, you told us that we would have many troubles in this life. 
So teach us how to deal with the troubles that are coming. Teach us how to deal with what we're going to deal with in 2015. Put into perspective, O oh God, eternal perspective, gospel narrative perspective, all that we've been through, all that we're going through, and all that we will go through. O oh God, would you build a theology in our hearts and minds this morning that establishes our feet firmer on the rock that is immovable by anything that will happen. O oh Holy Spirit, whisper to us, scream to us, Do your work, we pray, for we need you. And so we give these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Wednesday night, we will celebrate as we celebrate. Uh, The new year will be coming in, and um, we will, some of us party, some of us go to bed early, however we uh, celebrate the coming in of a new year. But before we do that, we're going to look back. And as we look back at 2014, I mean, um, there's no way to do that without thinking about such things as um, the song Happy and uh, how that really moved our country or the song and the music to the movie Frozen. Um, or maybe even how some of us may have gotten frozen with the ice bucket challenge. Um, or maybe we remember the Super Bowl because maybe there's some Seahawks fans in here, or maybe there's some Spurs fans in here for um, the NBA, which we won't like talking about that. Uh, maybe there's some soccer fans, and, and the highlight of your year was Germany winning the World Cup. Uh, I know we've got one or two from Cuba. Maybe you you're ended the will, year strong with the opening of relations to uh, with Cuba. We could go on and on and on as we recap 2014. But also as we look back, there were some tragedies, just like there are in every year. We think about the tragic death of uh, Robin Williams that just shocked us. Someone that truly seemed to be so full of joy. Someone that seemed to be so full of life took his own life. We think about the Ebola virus that is sweeping West Africa, that is still running rampant through Sierra Leone. Uh, We think about ISIS and how they are systematically killing uh, people all over the Middle East. We think about Ferguson and uh, the death of Michael Brown. And uh, we, we, we could go on and on. We think about the policemen in Brooklyn this week that were uh, senselessly murdered uh, for simply wearing their uniform and being police. We think about these things and we can just go on and on and on. And as I think about a new year, the reason I come to this text is because I know that there will be people in this room and indeed all of us to one extent or another that are going to face some tough times. And even as we look back, we could go around this room this morning and we could talk about the heartache of 2014 for many of you. The deaths, broken relationships... On and on and on. You see, Jesus did tell us in John 16.33, in this life you will have many troubles. He said you can count on it. Count on in 2015 having some troubles. And yet that is not how we look at life as Americans, as Westerners. 
We assume with all of our modern inventions and all of our medicine and scientific advancements, we just assume that life is going to work out. We assume that normality is things coming together, not falling apart. And yet every year we are proven wrong. Great things happen, no doubt. Blessings of God. But dear friends, this world is cursed. And unless we have a theology, unless we have a foundation to stand upon in order to deal with the the storms that come, we are going to be run over. And And those storms, instead of chasing us to God, are going to drive us away from God. I read recently that The postmodern person, uh, which is everybody in our day, believes this about God. If they believe in God, if they're willing to entertain the reality of a God, they believe, and we believe, that God will be there when things turn bad. Now, that sounds hopeful, but it's not hopeful. Because all that says is, is that there... The the predominant view of those that believe in God believe that he's there when we need him, but when we don't need him, we don't need him. In other words, Christianity, God, the atoning work of Jesus, is not a reality that we interpret all of life through. It's just something to run to if and when we need him. And Jesus tells us that that is no way to live life. Consider Matthew chapter 7. Jesus said this, he said, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them. In in, in other words, he takes my words, this is what Jesus says, and he applies them to his life or her life. That person who does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. Why? Because it had been founded on the rock. And then he goes on. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and it was the fall of it. I've been preaching this text a long time. And what I love about this is that I think about this sermon when I'm at the hospital. I think about this sermon when I get the call. I think about this sermon when I'm in the trenches with you. And life and the pain of life is falling on you. And what I see time and again is that the gospel holds up. The gospel endures. The gospel is strong enough. But dear friends, I've also sat with even some of you in the midst of your doubt when your feet were not planted firmly on the rock, on the the true words of the gospel, the true words of, of what Jesus spoke and taught. And I've watched you turn not to God but away from God because the foundation wasn't there. And so this morning, I want us to build the foundation and build upon the foundation. As I said, every time I study this passage, I feel like the foundation gets broader and a bit deeper. 
I see another little twist, another little turn that opens up this vista of, yes, indeed, the gospel of Jesus Christ is sufficient and it holds up. So let's look at that this morning. Let's build a theology of suffering. And the first thing that we see is that bad stuff happens to God's people and that's bad. Bad stuff happens to you and me and that's bad. And we need to affirm that it's bad. I've told you the story about uh, the girl, and I know that she is friends of probably some in here, and I I don't even know who that would be. Uh, But Dana and Frazier, Dana was in my youth group years ago, my first youth group out in Germantown. And she is now married to Frazier, and they have three young girls uh, over a year ago, their middle daughter began having seizures, and uh, they just increased and increased and increased, and now she's having them almost constantly. Um, she took her to every specialist that you can take her to in Memphis and beyond, and finally, a couple of months ago, a specialist was able to diagnose her with a fatal, fatal disease. It's 100% fatal at this point. And the doctor said, but that's not all. It's genetic. And we need to have your other two daughters tested as well. On the day that they were moving from their two-story house to a one-level house so that their daughter could move around that house better, literally on the day they were moving, as they were directing movers and everything that comes with moving, the doctor called and said, I've got some news. Your oldest daughter is in the clear But your youngest daughter is not. And that week, she um, began having the same symptoms as her older sister. These are God's people. (laughs) These are faithful, covenant children, grew up in covenant homes. Her dad was a preacher for many years. We are not immune from the curse of this world. Bad stuff happens to God's people. That's why in verse 36, Paul said, For your sake, we are being killed all day long. That's how life feels sometimes, isn't it? It feels like I'm being killed all day long. He said, We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Do you want to know what it feels like to be a child of God sometimes? That's it. This this whole theology of triumphalism, this, this whole theology of prosperity, this whole theology that if you're living right, if you're praying enough, if you're close to God, then you will be immune from the curse of the world is absolute heresy. And Paul tells us that here. In fact, when you embrace Jesus, life gets tougher. Do you hear me? Have you ever had a preacher tell you that? It's true. Because then your eyes are open to the battle that you are in with your own flesh. Then you become on the radar of the devil. Then you get in the fight for good and right and holiness and righteousness. And life is tough. But you're not alone. Jesus said, in this life, you will have many troubles, and we need to take him at his word. 
Paul said this in verse 18, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will one day be revealed to us. Notice Paul considers the sufferings. And look how he, look how he translates them. Look at the, the, the category, the box that he keeps in them. He says, I consider our sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will one day be revealed to us. He didn't say, I consider that our present sufferings are a sign that God is getting it wrong and doesn't exist. And if he does, he must not be loving. Isn't that what we feel in those lonely moments? Isn't that how it feels when, when the curse of the world is unleashed upon us? We feel isolated, we feel alone, we feel that God does not care, and yet what Paul says is don't believe your feelings. There is an absolute reality that you can live within that says no, it feels that way, but it's not that way for God's children. It's bad, and it's not wrong feeling that way. Because God hates it too. We've got to learn to put suffering in the context of God and His His plan over this world. I read something a few years back. It was a book by Charles Taylor called The Secular Age. And in it, he talks about atheism. And he he said before um, Queen, I think it was, let me look here, Queen Elizabeth, that's right. Before Queen Elizabeth, the word atheist did not even exist in the English language. Um, But that word really came into being during the Enlightenment, during the scientific age, when man began to see how vast the universe was and what the potential was, um, you know, for man in terms of what science could do for man, uh, it didn't draw us to God. It drew us away from God. The whole reality of disbelief in God came to bear. But now, Taylor says, we're in a whole different age. We went from... Um, mainstream, everybody interpreted life through God or the gods, to the reality that maybe we can think, I mean, maybe it's possible that there's not a God, to where we are today, which if you look at intelligentsia, if you look at our media, if you look at our art, it assumes that there is no God. And that's where we are today. But the problem is this. Science can't solve suffering. We can make advancements. St. Jude is a living example of that. We can make advancements, but dear friends, cancer still kills. There is still death. We're living longer, about at least six years longer. I think we've advanced life over the last five or eight years, I heard this week. But we still die. And so we have to have a theology of suffering. Because this whole idea that God is separate from it doesn't work. It just leaves us more and more in despair. So bad stuff happens to God's people. Secondly, God is working all the bad stuff for good for God's people. And that's good. (laughs) All right? The bad stuff is not good. But what God is doing with the bad stuff, make that distinction. That's where we're going in this point. Make the distinction between the bad stuff and the good that God does with the bad stuff. 
You have freedom to groan. You have freedom to mourn the bad stuff. That's what Paul gets into. But you can only mourn the bad stuff in a healthy way when you understand that God's doing something greater. April 7th, 2009. Thank you, Chris. Um, April 7th, 2009. I got a phone call that my house was on fire. Our house was on fire. Nobody else was home. I drive up to our house, 5.30 in the afternoon... And I have to stop about a quarter mile away. There's so many fire trucks, ambulances, police cars. I ran, and you talk about a surreal moment. This was a surreal moment. I, I ran, all my neighbors are out, and, and, and I'm standing in front of my house watching water flood out of the front door. I, I'm looking at my roof where the, the firemen had broken through. The, the ladder is over. I, I mean, everything is gone, and, and our Family pet, our little dog, Zacchaeus, what a great name, uh, had died as well in the fire. And as I'm standing there, you know, you always wonder what's going to happen in moments like that. And yet, as I stood there, and Rachel and the girls were were, uh, in Olive Branch um, for something, and as I stood there, I had this, it was almost this... um, I'm not going to call it an out-of-body experience. I was very much in my body. But it was a very existential, kind of surreal moment in which I thought, I've just lost everything, and yet God is more real to me. I'm more anchored in Him than I've ever been right now in this moment. It was a weird... I'm not trying to spiritualize it. I'm just telling you how I felt. Uh, There were tears and anger and everything else came later, all right? But in that moment, it was as if... Everything that I preached became real to me in a way that hadn't before that moment. And what I thought in that moment was, my, my, my hope is not a new house, although we're going to get a new house. I mean, we're going to find a place to live. But my hope is an existence where this doesn't happen. You see, as, as we stand in, in, in front of those that we love that have died... The hope is not just that we're going to see them one day, but that there's going to be an existence one day in which this does not happen. Where bad stuff doesn't happen. And only good stuff happens. And that is our hope. You see, this is the narrative that we have to live in. God has given us the story. He's hovered over our our world and He's given us the story and here it is. He made the world perfect. He made it good. And yet, we we rebelled against Him. We fought against Him. And so He gave us over to our desires and He cursed this world. And now this world, as it naturally exists, is falling apart. It's not coming together. And yet he sent Jesus to live in this world, to die in this world, and to be raised literally physically from the dead to overcome all the realities that we experience on a daily basis. So that one day, someday, we will exist in a place with God that is immune from suffering and death and sickness and pain and divorce and broken relationships. And so where we are in that story is kind of the the now of the hope of Jesus, but the not yet. 
And you see, the now is important because Jesus is coming back to make a new heaven and a new earth. He's not just going to wipe everything we know away. In fact, heaven is going to feel more like home than this home. Isn't that amazing? I mean, as I, what I lost that day when we were living in that, that, that rental house for six months is it didn't feel like home. Guess what? Heaven is going to feel more like home than any home you've ever lived in. You know those relationships that, that you have, that just your marriage relationship, whatever that relationship is, that it just, this is it. We, we all went to family, and, and maybe some of you have this with your family, where this is home, and th- home is relationship. It's a place where I'm loved and accepted, and I know that, and we've been through a lot together. That's heaven and so much more. And so what we do now is we enjoy where we are, who we are, looking forward to the day that Jesus comes back and makes all things new. I mean, that is where we must live. And in the meantime, listen to how we are to live. Look at verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons. Do you see the anticipation? We are groaning, for in this hope we were saved. And look look at verse 29. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't know how to pray as we ought. And so what is one of the jobs of the Spirit to come and to help us groan redemptively? Friends, we have forgotten as a church and God's people how to groan redemptively. Do you know how to groan redemptively? It's not to whine and complain, but it's to experience the bad stuff in this life. To stand before the coffin of your loved ones and say, as a believer, death does not have the final word. It won today, but it's not going to win from now. Divorce does not have the final word in this existence as believers. Fire that destroys homes, fire that kills family pets doesn't have the last word. Broken relationships doesn't have the last word. Sickness doesn't have the last word. Joblessness doesn't have the last word. Depression doesn't have the last word. Physical ailments doesn't have the last word. Jesus has the last word. Is that your living reality? Is that what gets you out of bed in the morning? Where you can fight for your relationship with your spouse. Where you can fight for the relationships in your family that may be broken. Where you can go to work and you can do your job seeking to make this world a better place. Seeking to make your team at work a better team. Whatever it is. Are you living with the hope of the reality that what you're experiencing now is not the final word? If you're not, then I say you need to turn to Jesus. Because whatever you thought Christianity is, it's not. This is what Christianity is. Jesus has the last word. Isn't that beautiful? I don't understand why someone would reject that. Why would you not want that? I offer it to you today. And then lastly, how is God using all things for good? He's doing it to make us like Jesus 
and to drive us to Jesus. I don't know if any of you uh, have read the book, Unbroken. How many in here have seen the movie over the last week? All right, we've got some. How many in you here are planning to go see the movie? All right, well, I'm about to ruin it for you. Uh, so you don't have to see it. I just saved you ten bucks, all right? Because I'm going to give you the whole movie right now. Uh, you can just kind of, there you go, Glenn, that's a good way. Um, I'll try not to destroy it too much, but... Uh, you know, there is a trailer. You've probably seen the trailer, and you know that Louis Zamprini uh, was a track star in California, and he was on track, literally, to break the four-minute mile, to be the first one to break the four-minute mile. And World War II broke out, and he enlisted. And he was flying over the Pacific and got shot down, and from that point forward uh, became a POW and just got beat every day for five years however long it was. Um, he, and there, when, when he came back, and I don't know how in the world he survived all that, but when he came back, he turned to alcohol to cope with the pain of all that. But his wife went to a Billy Graham crusade and was converted. Um, this was when Billy Graham was just starting. He had a tent in their neighborhood, and she went. She was converted and kept going back every night inviting him. Finally, he goes, and he's converted. Now, you look at his life, and you look at this man who actually died. He went home to be with Jesus during the filming of this movie, Unbroken. And you see the impact he had on Angelita Jolie. I've been reading stories about that, and, you know, the impact he had on those that, uh, because he was on set for most of it. You look at that, and you say, there's no way that this man is this man without what happened to him during those five years. And isn't that true about all of us? We can't separate who we are, who God is making us to be, from what we've been through. And, And it's amazing. God redeems what we've been through. And I know that there are people in here that have been through some stuff. We've all been through some stuff. And you look back, and there is nothing. I love what Paul says. He doesn't just, he's not indirect. He says, and we know that in all things. Do you know that in some way, some mysterious, glorious way, God even redeems your sin (laughs) to make you who he wants you to be today? I don't understand that. Is sin evil? Is sin wicked? Does God have anything to do with our sin? No. But does He redeem what we do and even what people have done to us for His glory by making us strong through the weak things of our lives? Yes. And that's what He's doing for you right now. The good of an event, though, is not primarily circumstantial. It's relational. That's what the rest of this chapter is about, and this is what you need to hear. If you go through life thinking it is God's job to better your circumstances, you're not going to get God. Now, can God better our circumstances? Absolutely. In fact, he calls the church to better the circumstances of those around them. 
We are to be laying our lives down. We are to be fighting for justice. We are to be uh, fighting for marriage and, 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 and fatherhood and motherhood and, and, and fighting for homes and uh, fighting against poverty and, and giving and, 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 and distributing wealth so that there are no poor among us. I mean, that's kind of all these things. And yet, we are never going to alleviate the suffering that's in this world. But God is going to use it to drive us to Jesus. Look at this. For we know that in all things God works good for those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose. For those whom God foreknew, He predestined for better circumstances. No. He predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son. Do you want to know what God is up to in 2015? Do you want to know what His resolution is for you in 2015? It's to take every good thing and bad thing and use it to drive you closer to Jesus. Because He is life. He is hope. It is a relational. Goodness is reconciliation with Jesus and walking daily with Him. Goodness is understanding Him more and being more affirmed in your faith in Him, being more trusting in Him, letting go a little bit more in 2015 than you were in 2014 of the things of this world and holding more tightly to Him and seeing more broadly and more clearly the reality of His hold on you. That's what Christian growth is all about. That's what He's up to in 2015. And so as the bad stuff happens... You've got to be pressed into Jesus if you really want to take advantage of the good that He's working in your life. So you've got two ways to go here. One is to keep hoping that God is just going to change your circumstances. And dear friends, we are to pray for the sick. And we are to fight disease. And we are to do everything we can to alleviate the curse and the fall and the effects on all of us. But ultimately, at the deepest place of our soul, we've got to say, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. Because we are here not to experience good circumstances, but to bring glory to Him in the midst of all circumstances. That's your purpose. And so as bad stuff comes your way, call it bad. Know God is at work. And say, Jesus, show me how sufficient you are in the midst of this bad. And if that is your hope, dear friends, you will not be disappointed in 2015. The only question is, is that your hope? Is that really what you are living for? Time is going to tell. And the circumstances of your life are going to tell. And Jesus is going to draw you more and more to yourself. And he's going to be relentless. One final word on this. I love the last several verses. In verse 31, What then shall we say to these things, to all the suffering that goes on in our lives? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then in verse 37, uh, no, no, excuse me, verse 35, here's the question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? If that is your question for 2015, you're going to have a good year. 
Is anything going to separate me from Jesus in 2015? God says no. If you're a believer... You have nothing to fear going into 2015. In fact, you can be bold. You can give your life away. You can go be a missionary in India or China or right in your own neighborhood. You can give all your money away. You can go get a job. You can you can stay married. You can fight for a marriage that you've given up hope in. Why? Because nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. And that is the foundation upon which to fight For heaven to be in your relationships right now and in your world right now, nothing can separate you from Christ. Amen? Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we have nothing to fear in 2015. We thank you that we can go boldly, even if we don't lose that weight, even if we don't change our lifestyle in terms of exercise and all these other things. Lord Jesus, you are unchanging. And we can go through the year, and no matter what is taken from us, no matter what suffering we personally encounter, you will be sufficient, and we will understand your love a little better, and we will understand the reality of the good things that you're working in our lives a little more, even as we carry the wounds of loss, And we carry the wounds of brokenness and the curse of this world. For we know that those are not the final words, but that your love is the final word. And your love wins. So God, give us that hope in the coming year, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.